Why would the Torah insert the mitzvahs of Peah and Leket, which have to do with how you harvest a field, in the middle of the laws of Yom Tov? Many of the commentaries discuss this, Rashi in a very unique way, and we'll analyze why Rashi does not give the same view as the other commentaries. And with that, we'll learn the importance of doing a mitzvah with absolute pure intention. In the section of our parasha that speaks about the verse Yom Tovim, after the Torah tells us about the Yom Tov of Shavuos and the Karbonis associated with it, then it says, When you harvest your fields, don't completely harvest everything. You have to leave the corner of the field. And you don't pick up the the odds and ends that fall while you're harvesting. So the question is, of a time, why would the Torah discuss this in the middle of a conversation around Yom Tev? We'll see that there are three different opinions by the various Meforshim before we get to Rashi. The first opinion, however, Nezra Kosov. Even Ezra says, Why does the Torah again teach us this mitzvah of pay and lekha? Because we've already learned it before. Why does it repeat it and why now? Because of the timing. Because we've just spoken about Shavuos. And that is the time of Bikurei Ketzir Chitim, when you have the first harvests of wheat. So therefore, his Therefore, the Torah says we need to remind people that they shouldn't forget what they're supposed to do at the time of the harvest. Now is the time. Now you remind them. So therefore, Ezra says, we've been told the mitzvah before, but now it is timely. Bayes, second opinion is Haramban Beer. He explains, When it tells us that all of these laws apply when you're harvesting your field, So that alludes to the fact that it was speaking about the harvest already mentioned earlier in the parasha. And then you'll say as follows, Earlier on in the parasha, we were told that when you come into Eretz Yisrael, so, <clears throat> so it told us about the mitzvah of Omer. And then it says, So the Ramban says, you're going to put the two together. You're going to say, one second. You've told me that there's a mitzvah, that the first thing we do when we harvest is we bring an Omer offering in the Beis HaMikdash. And now you're telling me that there's a mitzvah of Peah and Leket. So you might think that if this particular field happens to be that one field that we use to take the harvest for the Omer offering, you'd think that that would override the other mitzvahs of this field, and this field would be exempt from Leket and Peah. Therefore, it has to be told to us again at this point. And then, a variety of other Mephoshim, the Arachayim, the Barbanel, and others, they say something similar, but they say a little differently. They said slightly differently, that there will obviously be one field from which you take the Omer. And you have to know that after you take the Omer offering on that field, you're still required to do Leket and Peah. 
Don't make the mistake of thinking, well, we've already given the best of this produce or the first of this produce as an offering to Hashem, and therefore, when and therefore you think we've already done a mitzvah, not just any ordinary mitzvah, but a big mitzvah with a product of this field, and therefore, you might now think there's no requirement to do the other mitzvah. So the Ramban is saying that the positive mitzvah of the Omer would override the mitzvahs of Leket and Peah, and the other Mephoshim are saying you might think you are no longer required because you've already done a mitzvah of giving away part of your field for a holy purpose, and that's good enough. So once we see these three perspectives, Dorish Beer, we need to understand why then does Rashi, where there are these different opinions that are offered, go with an opinion that comes from a Midrashic source, which says as follows. Omar Rabbi Avardimas, some people think it's supposed to be Rabbi Avdimi. The Rebbe points out that Avardimas is the correct Girsa. But Rabbi Yossi, the son of Rabbi Yossi, says, What prompted the Pasuk to stick these two mitzvahs in the middle of the conversation about Yom Tev? And specifically, Pesach Vatseres Mikan, on the one hand, you've got Pesach and Shavuos, then you have Avukutzuchem, and then Mikan, and then you have the other major Yom Tev mentioned afterwards. Says Rabbi Avardimas, Lilamedcho to teach you something quite unusual. Any person who gives these tithes to the poor people appropriately, then it is considered as if that person built the Beis Amigdash and brought Karbonos in the Beis Amigdash. So the first Big question is, Dana Muvan, it doesn't seem to make sense. Mahu Shahivi Rashi Ketirits the Shaila Amura Drasha Mina Godam and Tayaskehanim. So we all know there's a question. Why is a Vakutzrachem stuck in the middle of Yamtiv? Why does Rashi quote a Medrash to answer that question? Why doesn't he answer along the lines of Pshat as the Ebenezer or the Rachaim or the Rambandu? That's unusual. Rashi would normally go for the simplest explanation, not for a medrash. So the easiest one to dismiss is we see why Rashi would not have quoted a thinking as the Ramban did. What did the Ramban say? The Ramban said earlier on in the parasha we came across the mitzvah of the Oimer, and now we're coming across the Vakutzrachem to remind us that even if the Oimer happened, it doesn't override the other mitzvahs. And similarly, the Orachim and the Barbanel, etc. Now, Rashi would have simply said, well, if that's the case, of a Kutzrachem should have been put straight after the story of the Oimer. Take a Oimer, and then I would know that when you bring the Korban Oimer, you still have the other requirements. So we can understand why Rashi wouldn't go with that view. But the Evan Ezra's explanation seems to be just so simple. What does he say? It's a reminder. It's now Shavuot's time. It's when you're actually doing this in practice and you need to be reminded to do the mitzvah. That's so good in Pshat. Why doesn't Rashi go with that opinion? Now, before we can answer that question, we're going to analyze the details of how Rashi presented his commentary and see that there are various other questions as well. So let's pay attention to certain details of what Rashi said. Number one, The first intriguing thing is the headline that Rashi uses, just the word over Kutzrechem. Before we get to the Rashi, we're analyzing. 
when he speaks about the word of a Kutzuchem, Pirashi explains there, We've already learned about Lekan and Peah previously. Why does the Torah repeat it? So that if a person ignores the mitzvahs of Lekan and Peah, it's a double Avera. That's what the Torah wants us to know first. And then he goes on to say, The quotation from Torah's Kahanim that we have already seen, that it's to teach us that it's like building the base of and bringing Karbonis. Now, no movement. Something here doesn't seem right. Whenever Rashi brings two interpretations, and they're actually separate invitations, and, and he's talking about something he's already explained, Rashi would typically split the two explanations on the same concept into two headlines. Yeah, he doesn't. The fact that Rashi tells us what appears to be two separate pieces of information, double Avera if a person ignores Leka Chikhampeya, and the constant as, as if a person builds the base amigdash based on a Midrash, if he does those mitzvahs, they seem separate, they belong in separate headlines, but Rashi puts them all together, that tells us that there's a direct link and flow from the one message to the next, and we have to find out what it is. Because at the first glance, they seem to be completely different topics. The first presentation Rashi makes, which is now you know that if a person transgresses these mitzvahs, it's a double Avera. What's the connection between that and what Rabbi Avdirma said? Where he's talking not about why the mitzvah is repeated. That's one issue. He's talking about a different issue. Why it was placed in the middle of the Yomim Tevim. What's the connection? And there are various other things about this Rashi that need our attention. Number one, Aleph Adir Kayodua, we know very well because we've discussed it many times. Rashi does not quote the source of a particular statement in his commentary. Unless knowing who said it will help us understand the message better, or if it's even even if it's just for the genius student who needs to know that information. So why do we have to know it's Rabbi Avardimas? Number two, base. Rashi Herich Bekushio Pirit. Rashi gave us a lot of detail. He doesn't just say, why were the issues of Lekin and Peah inserted in the middle of the Yomim Tovim? He specified, Pesach and Shavuos is on the one end, and Rashona Yom Kippur and Sukkot on the other. Surely, Rashi could have just simply said, why is this in the middle of Yom Tovim? And we'd work out what it means that it's in the middle of the list of Yomim Tovim. Question number three. It's interesting. The Pasuk only speaks about Peah and Leket. And Rashi includes in his commentary Shicha. You've got to understand why that is. The easiest excuse would be, well, because he's quoting the Torah's Kohanim. And that's what Rabbi Avdimas does there. 
But we know very well that Rashi doesn't quote things verbatim. He extracts the particular soundbite, the particular line that is relevant to understanding Pshat. Especially when you consider that Rashi didn't make it obvious that he's quoting from the Torah's Kahanim. So he's making it sound like it's his own words. So there's no need to quote from Torah's Kahanim. So why stick in Shikha if it's not in the Pasuk? So you have to conclude then that knowing that Shikha is on the list is part of understanding the simplest explanation of this Pasuk. Truth is, the question's bigger than we originally thought. Because You can't excuse it and say, the reason Rashi quoted Shikha is because he wants to be as close to the original quotation from Torah's Koyhanim as possible. Because look how many things he's going to say differently to Torah's Koyhanim. We'll identify four. Firstly, Torah's Kohanim said it's Pesach and Shavuos on the one side, and it is Roshan Yom Kippur on the other side. Doesn't mention Sukkot. Rashi does. Number two, but Torah's Kohanim is selected Shicho Pe Umaiser Oni. In Torah's Kohanim, not only does it include Shicho as one of the categories of the requirements of the, of the the product that you have to give to the poor, it also says Maiser Oni. Rashi Hishrit Maiser Oni. Rashi leaves it out. Number three, Torah's Kalim said anybody who takes out these various donations, it's as if they've built the base Amikdash. Rashi said somebody who gives. Now there must be a distinction between taking product out of one's field versus giving. And lastly, it says, the Medrash Torah's Kahanim says that it would be considered as if the Beis HaMikdash stood. And he brings Karbonis to the Beis HaMikdash. Rashi said something very different. Rashi says that the person who gives Lekot Shikha and properly is like they built the Beis HaMikdash and and then brought in Karbonis. So, Rashi is telling us things in quite a different way to how the Torah's Kohanim did, and we need to know why, and we also then need to understand why he sticks in Shikha, but he leaves out, uh, sorry, why he sticks in Shikha, which is not in the Pasuk, but he leaves out Maisaroni, which is in the Torah's Kohanim. Many things we have to understand here. So maybe you'll say Rashi had more than one Girsa, and the one Girsa that he quotes is the one that we see. And it must be, obviously, the opinions that he had available as to what Rabbi Avardima said, because that's who he's quoting. That would definitely require explanation, because let's assume there was this alternate text, and Rashi's using it, and he's quoting another version of what Rabbi Avardima said, why would he have prioritized that one? Why would Rashi prefer an obscure version of the text to the common version of the text, which is the one we know because that's the one that was adopted? And if it is true that Rashi specifically chose to present this variation of what Rabbi Avardima said, it has to be Mukhach 
that within this explanation we'll have the greatest clarity about what the Pshat is in the Pasuk. So, what is Rashi trying to explain to us that didn't he couldn't get out of any of the other opinions about Dafka putting Leket, Shikha, or Leket and Peya in the middle of the story of, of um, Yom Tev to tell us the greatness of building a Beis Amikdash in a spiritual sense when you bring these or when you give these uh, different donations. Now, before we can go further and understand this, we're going to look at something else that Rashi says in the next piece. Next thing, Rashi Rashi then quotes the word that says, you have to leave these parts of the field for the poor. And he explains, what does Ta'azoiv mean? It means, you are passive. You leave the produce in your field, and they, the poor people, have to come along and collect either the payer or the sheaves that have dropped all over the place. And he says, You may not assist them in doing so. So the commentators on Rashi ask, In the context of the different gifts to the poor, the word Tazov has already appeared in the previous parasha. Why did Rashi not explain it there? And he only interprets what Tazov means here. Parashas Kedoshim had this word in this context for the first time. That would have been the place you'd expect Rashi to comment on it, and he doesn't, only here. So in order to answer this, we'll have to illustrate that the question that drives Rashi is a little different to the nature of the question that drove the other Mephoshim. Shlomo Abir B'cholzeh, here's the explanation. The fact that the Pasuk of Akutzuchem was said at this moment, in the middle of the conversation about Yom Tov, the fact that it was mentioned here amongst the Yom Tov mitzvahs, and not specifically in all the agricultural mitzvahs, it's not the biggest question in Pshat, and seeing as Rashi is concerned with Pshat, it's not the biggest question. Why? Because Pshat is that there's a flow of mitzvahs in this parasha. And they are all, there's a whole string of mitzvahs that are all, all associated with harvest. And this is how they go. First it tells us, First thing is that when you're in Eretz Yisrael, you have to bring the korban ha'oymer. Take the first produce of the field and bring it to the base Amikdash during Pesach. Then we're told that when Shavuos comes along, then you have to bring the one time that you bring bread as a part of the service in the base Amikdash from the new produce. Now, once we have discussed the two types of grain that are brought in the base Amikdash as service to Hashem from the new harvest, now we could talk about what you personally do with the rest of the harvest for yourself, because you can't really use it until you've done those things. So it's natural. Now you say, now you speak about Lekad and Peah. So Rashi doesn't have to answer that question. So what question is he looking to answer? What really worries Rashi is not where these mitzvahs were placed, because that follows logically, 
but why they were repeated. Considering that these mitzvahs were already discussed in the previous parasha Kedoshim, like the Eben Ezra said in his interpretation, why does it have to be repeated again? And he explains, because now is the time to deal with these particular harvests. So that's the first thing Rashi has to address. Why is it repeated at all? Why do we have a mitzvah that we've just learned in the previous parasha now being told to us again? Says Rashi, why? To tell you that a person transgresses twice if he doesn't fulfill these mitzvahs. And now you can understand why Rashi didn't want to go with the Evan Erzer's explanation, even though it's pshat, because he's trying to come from a different perspective and teach us something else. But Parashas Kedoshim, go look at Parashas Kedoshim. What do you see over there? Besides the fact that we're told that you have to leave the sheaves or the, 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 the stalks of wheat for, or the corner of the field for the poor, Nehemiah also tells us that there are also elements of the vine that you have to leave for the poor. If Ebenezer, it's true what you're saying, that now is the actual practical time to apply these mitzvahs. So you need to be reminded what to do. Then the Torah should have not only repeated the laws that relate to grains, but also the laws that relate to vines, because they'll also come into play now, Rashi says the Torah didn't do that, so it can't be that the reason the Torah is repeating this information is because now it becomes relevant. There has to be another reason. Therefore, Rashi says, I'm sorry, but they have an Ezra's suggestion, not that they saw or communicated with each other, but conceptually, the suggestion that it could be because you have to be reminded of the mitzvah, we're not worried that you'll forget to do these mitzvahs. As we find with most mitzvahs. The Torah doesn't repeat the mitzvah again. Even if now the time becomes relevant. Because we're not worried that people are going to forget to do mitzvahs. That is not a good enough reason for the Torah to repeat itself. So why? Therefore Rashi has to say, so no. So why in fact does the Torah repeat these mitzvahs again? Why? To teach a person that if a person transgresses Leket and Peah, it's a double Avera. Oh, then you're going to say, Don't ask the question, why? Why is it a double Avera? Why these mitzvahs are double Averas and not others? Come Rashi. Rashi's already told us that prior to this. There are many mitzvahs in the Torah that were repeated more than once. For the sole purpose of giving us multiple averas associated with a single act or deed or, or, or topic. And it's not a pshat conversation to say why those mitzvahs and not those mitzvahs. So the concept of the Torah repeating mitzvahs to show us that they have more than one transgression associated with them is not a surprise to us, something we've already encountered before, and we're good. What's bothering Rashi? Why was it repeated? Not why was it placed here. He's comfortable with why it was placed here. Because this is the first time we can encounter our own harvest. We're after Chadash, we're good. 
Question is, now that Rashi says that the reason these mitzvahs are repeated is to illustrate that a person transgresses doubly if they don't give leket or payah, or don't leave the leket or payah. Now Rashi says, aha. So if the reason that these mitzvahs are repeated is to teach us the double love, now I can ask my Ra'akosivitim so why place them over here? If I wasn't saying it was for this purpose, it was just like the Ebenezer says, to remind me I should do these mitzvahs at this time, well, then it makes perfect sense. Over Kutzuchem, come straight after Shavuos, because that's when you start harvesting. But now that I know that's not the reason why the Torah repeated these mitzvahs, it's to teach me it's a double love. So now I'm back to square one. So Taka, why in this particular place, in the middle of the discussion about the Regolim, about Yom Tiv? And the truth is, this question is clearest when you see that it's Pesach and Shavuos on the one side, Roshon Yom Kippur and Sukhos on the other side, as we will explain. Vabir. Here's the explanation. Let's say that the reason that this Pasuk is here is to teach us a new piece of information, a new instruction with regards to Leket and Peah. Then it would make sense. Why is it in the middle of the Yomim Tevin? Because, because then I'd say, this is a section of the Torah where it's telling us all kinds of information about harvest and our responsibilities around the harvest that we don't necessarily know or need it to be told. And part of that is whatever new information will emerge about Lekin and Peah. To put it differently. If we were to assume that this would be a new instruction or a new restriction, then the Torah would specifically choose to place it here, so that a person would not mistakenly think don't think that the other areas of law relating to produce that we've already learned with that that's the end. We know we've done all of the mitzvahs that are associated with harvest time. And then you would think, okay, we've done all the mitzvahs. Now we can go and clear out our fields and take everything for ourselves. Like the various commentators said before, right? You'd think, okay, I've given the oimer, so I don't have to do any other mitzvahs. That would all work if we believed that this was telling us new information. The Torah would say, no, 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 you're not done yet. Now that you start your harvest, there are other requirements that you would have to fulfill before you could enjoy the product of your own fields, namely, that would all make sense if this was new instruction that was happening. So these are the instructions you need to know at the time that you harvest your field. But once Rashi has clarified for us that the only reason Lekin and Peah is mentioned here is not to tell us new information, but only to tell us that this mitzvah has a double jeopardy, then it actually makes sense to be here. And it doesn't have to be in the context of other agricultural elements. 
Rock in Yeshla Shaykh's Tech and Parsha Zoid. The only reason that it should be is because somehow it has to fit what we're discussing. It can't be that it's here because we're discussing agriculture, because we never already know the laws of agriculture about Leket and Peah. Why is it here? It must be somehow related to what's going on around it. Because like Rashi says, I'm not worried that you're going to forget or get it wrong or think that you've, you've uh, fulfilled your obligation. You don't have to bring any further uh, donations from your field. We know that you have to do lekin and pay. That's not what it's coming to teach us over here. So why is it here? It has to somehow speak to the context. So now what is the context? Where was this written? What are we talking about? We're talking about Pesach and Shavuos and Rosh Hashanah and We're not talking about what has to do with harvest. What are we talking about? The korbonos that you bring as a community on each of the Yomim Tevim. How do we know that that's what it's talking about? Rashi says, I'll show you. Because Pesach says, Mikan. Rosh Hashanah and Mikan. Because look where it is. On the one side, you've got the laws of Pesach and Shavuos. And on the other, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur Sukkot. Vahare Rosh Hashanah and Kippur Sukkot. Vahare Rosh Hashanah and Kippur Sukkot. As much as you could say, yes, Pesach and Shavuos. And even Sukkot are associated with the processes of harvest. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur certainly are not. Therefore, Rashi is showing us what is the context? What is the theme? Karbonos of Yom Tev. Now vim kein ma in yona shala azora lavor bishnei lavin benegele peya veleket etel kesuvim elum. Now you put that all together. Now Rashi's got his question. Leket and peya are mentioned again. Why to tell us that there's a double avera? And it has to somehow relate to the context of where it was placed, which is not a context of laws of agriculture. It is a context of laws of carbonus related to Yom Tev. Now you've got to ask yourself, so why stick it here? So Rashi answers that. He says, It's dafka placed there to teach you that any person who donates to the poor in the correct way it's like the carbonus you see where this is it's in the story of carbonus to teach you that giving is like building the base and bringing carbonus we need to explain this further and there are quite a number of nuanced details that we still have to clarify so let's understand what's the connection between donating to the poor and bringing carbonus in the base amigdash we can actually see and understand a link. Go back to the beginning of Pashas Vayikra. And what does it say? To bring a carbon, the animal has to belong to the individual and cannot be stolen property. That tells you that a core element of bringing carbonos is to give away what is yours, to where Hashem has allocated it to go, the Mizbeach, the Koyen, based on Hashem's instruction. That's the theme of a carbon, taking our things, giving them away as Hashem told us to, to whoever Hashem said we should give it. There's a similar theme when it comes to giving to the poor. 
like the Korban, you're fulfilling Hashem's instruction. Here by Matnois Anim, you're fulfilling Hashem's instruction. What is the instruction? Law says to give mitvu osoi la'anim of your produce to the poor. So exactly like a, a carbon, it's a person giving their possessions to someone else on Hashem's instruction. Common theme to the carbon. I, at this point, you'll say, so what's, what's so unique then about Lekha, Chicha, and Peah? That's any time you give any kind of tzedakah. The chap is that how one donates to the poor in the context of leket shikha and peah is unique. In order to give tzedakah, there is no requirement that the person had to work to attain the funds. Ali de misra he could have had a, a very easy business transaction. Or Yerusha could have inherited the money. Metzia, or he could have found the money. Bechayotz was in many other scenarios. To give tzedakah does not require that the person first worked to earn. But because we know that he could have used that money to supply his own personal needs, so therefore giving tzedakah is considered like giving away one's own life in a certain regard. Now let's compare that. Let's talk about the product of a field. Which a person is going to give away when they leave the corner of the field or the fallen stalks, etc. That didn't come easily. That was something a person toiled over. Sweat equity. First he had to plow. Then he had to plant. Now he has to harvest. As the Pasuk says, you'll eat by the sweat of your brow. Therefore, when Rabbi Avardimas comes along in Torah's column, he says, it's like the Beis Amigdash stands. And you bring the Karbonos there. That building, creating, bringing a Karbon is much more expressed in the donations to the poor that are from the product of hard labor than from any other form of tzedakah. And the Rashi takes it even one step beyond Rabbi Avardimas. Rashi highlights it even further. That the toil that a person invests and then gives away to the poor. Think about this psychologically. You're allowing the poor to take before you take home. And then you tell me a truma mice after that, once you bring the product home, you're going to still give the tithe to the Kohanim and the Leviim. And only then will you be able to have personal benefit. It's quite a challenge. Rashi says it's not even like bringing a carbon. It's so much personal effort that you then give away. It's like you built the Beis Amigdash. It's like all of that work to build the structure of the base amigdash even before you put in and bring the carbonus within it. 
Bashwa Zoi Malinolov Kilo Besamigdash Kaim, a Bona Besamigdash, Vehikrif Kobanois of Yashnein Yonim. Now, Rashi's made this distinction now between the way Rabbi Avardima says it, that the Besamigdash is already there. And it's the focus on what you're giving to the Beis Amikdash, your korban, versus what Rashi says, that you're building the Beis Amikdash. That highlights two perspectives on where we focus when we speak about giving away to the poor. Aleph, one perspective is, It's all about the fact that you're giving away what is yours. Why would a person do this? Because Hashem instructed it. A person takes something that could have supplied his very essential needs and gives them away. Especially when you consider that it's not just money, it's something the person really invested a lot of themselves into. So that's the one focus. The giving away of self. Then the second area to focus on Then there's the fact that, that that product is given to the poor person. So the one angle of the story is what I'm giving away. Second angle of the story is what the poor person receives from me. It has a practical distinction. If the whole focus is the beauty the amazing dedication of somebody who takes their own thing and gives it away because Hashem said so. Something that is related to them keeping themselves alive. And it doesn't really make such a difference how the poor person receives it. The main thing is I had that mysterious nefesh to give it away. But if the focus of the mitzvah is the fact that it shall be given to the Oni, as I know, then it makes a very big difference how it was given. That distinction plays out in the original Torah's Kahanim version of Rabbi Avardimas and Rashi's version. When the Torah's Kahanim wants to equate giving like a Chicho and Peah, Two carbonos. There they say, you know what's so unique about <coughs> what you're giving away, like the carbon, you're giving away your product to Hashem. If it's talking about what you're giving away, the Tarashkahanim includes Shikha and Maisar because they're also examples of giving away your things. Because if we're looking from the perspective of how a person worked hard and is now giving it away, they're all in the same class. They're all examples of produce that the person worked hard on and then gave away. But when you look at Rashi, what does Rashi say? The most important thing to look at is that you give to the poor person appropriately. That was Rashi's Lashen. Call out Noisen, not Moitzi. The Tereskan says Moitzi. Rashi says Noisen. It's about what you give and how you give. And he says Koro'oi. It's got to be done appropriately. For that, you can only include Shikha into the same category as Leket and Peah. Because only Shikha will equate to the other two in the sense that it's the proper way of giving. And what is that proper way of giving? That proper way of giving is as follows. All three of these mitzvahs, Leket, Shikha, Peah, 
Shavuos bekach have the following in common. Not only do they all share in common that these are examples of a person taking something that they worked hard on, that is relevant to their own sustenance, and they're giving it away. What's unique about these three is that you give in the most perfect way. To give in the most perfect way means there's nothing in return for the giver, not even some kind of personal privilege. Rashi says, You give in the best way possible. Because maybe in other areas you could give to poor people who are close to you, people who are part of your household, people who are relatives, people who are your slaves. Here you can't. Rashi doesn't use the example of the tithe that is given to the poor, because there, there could be personal privilege. Because the person gets to choose who the recipients will be and could choose to include people who are in their circle, even their family circle. So only we don't get to choose who takes those things. And therefore, it's really much closer <coughs> to the concept of building a base amigdash. It's not just that there is a base amigdash and we bring korbonos. Because when you build a base amigdash, who's it for? Everybody. No favors, no priorities. <clears throat> and not Rashi doesn't want to say it's just like bringing a carbon which has personal benefit no is the ultimate state of giving where you give without any sense of personal value personal benefit but now you'll ask this question like we said earlier all of these details don't only apply to grain. They also apply to the parts that you have to leave from the vineyard. That's why in Parashas Kadosh, in the first time we came across Leket Shikhan we also learned about how it applies to a vine. Why does Rabbi Avardimus not mention them? Because surely they communicate the same theme. Now, you're going to say because they're not mentioned in the Pasuk. But we see Shikha is added even though it's not in the Pasuk. That's not a good enough reason. To address that question, Rashi didn't just simply say, why are the laws of Lekin and Peya discussed in the middle of Yom Tov? He specified Pesach and Shavuos on the one side and Rosh Hashanah and Kippur Sukkot on the other side. Why? For practical reasons. Lehadgish, to emphasize. That this Pasuk of Akutzachem as Ketzir Arzachem is referring to the period before you get to Sukkot. Before the gathering of all the various components of the fields which occurs on Sukkot. 
ולכן מתאים להזכיר כאן רק את השיקחה שייכת בזמן קציר ארצכם. So what can you talk about at this point? Only the things related to grain harvests, which is לקט שיקחה ומפאה, because they've happened at this point. אך לא יסמיצוס אלו לא יספר את קרמחו, כי זמן נום שלילו, הרי הוא לאחר זמן בימי חג הסוכס. Whereas the collection of the grapes in the vines, uh, in the vineyards, that's only going to happen later. That's related to Sukkot. That's why she tells us that it's Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur V'chag Mikan to tell you where are we talking about the period of time where you have to concentrate on laws that are related to grain produce. Those laws have to be the ones that are about complete giving, like Korbanos, where there's no personal interest. Not only like Korbanos, but like building the base, Amigdash, with only interest for everybody else. What is that? Lekat Shechon Peah and no others. V'hadovar gam Moisif bir v'tam shepir shashi huva b'hagirsa shabon nishpat maiser oni. And that, of course, explains to us why Rashi does not include maiser oni. Because, simple reason, ki al-derech ha-rogil gam nesinas maiser oni mitvur sa-oretz nasis b'yachad im nesinas ha-maisus m'yikvech ha-chulei. Because maiser oni usually happens sukkah's time. Because it has to include donations also from the vine. B'zman ha-osif. And of course, you only give maizah to the poor after you've collected everything into your house, and that occurs after sukkah, so it would be inappropriate to discuss maizah only at this point in time, because it's not yet practically relevant. We're between Shavuos and Rosh Hashanah. It's not yet, not yet practically relevant. So which are the cases to be talking about? Leket, Shikha, and Peah. Actually, this also helps us to understand conceptually why Maiser Oni, the tithes that are given to the poor, are not identical to what you give away in Lekat Shikha and Peah. Actually won't fit into that category of things that it's considered like you built the base Amigdash and like you brought all the Korbanos. Why? We know very well Maeser Oni only happens twice in seven years. Or once in three years, but effectively works out twice in seven years. So therefore, in giving Maeser Oni, you won't feel that same extent of the person giving away their livelihood as you would with Lechat Shikhan because something you only have to donate once in three years, you wouldn't call that giving away your livelihood. You could say something similar about a vine. A vine is not a staple food. Grapes are not a staple food. Wine is not a staple item. And the practical workload of running a vine is far less than running a field of grain. So whichever angle you look at it from, what is clear in Rashi, Rashi's intention is to teach us that what we're focused on in this Pasuk is how much you give away without a sense of Getting something in return, that is expressed mostly in Lekat Shikhopea. That's why they're mentioned in the middle of the story of the Moyados, because we want to equate them with Karbanos and specifically with building a base Amigdash, complete dedication to Hashem to the extent of giving away what is rightfully yours to somebody else. Now we can understand why Rashi goes back to explain the word Tazov and only explains it here and not in Parshas Kedoshim by saying, Hanachni you should see this already. 
What does Tazov mean? Leave it passively for them. They'll collect. And you don't even help them do so. The first time we learned about Lekat Shikhon Peah in Parshas Kedoshim, Sheboy Nema, where the Torah told us, that you leave those areas of your field for the poor. And Rashi Tzorik the first moment, Rashi doesn't have to explain that, means it's self explanatory, leave it for the poor. It's very simple. There the Torah is telling me, how does one fulfill the mitzvah pay a leket? Leave it for the poor. Don't finish off every corner of your field and don't collect the pieces that have fallen down. Instead, leave it for the poor. In Parshas Kedoshim, the word Tazov is a simple word to translate. It means leave it. Rashi doesn't have to explain it. But now that we're in our Parsha, and Rashi has now shown and explained to us how you actually fulfill these mitzvahs, which are leave those things for the poor. And why does the Torah repeat these mitzvahs? To teach us, as Rashi has just shown us, because the Torah wants us to know that if you do these mitzvahs properly, it's equivalent of building the base Amigdash and bringing Korbanos. And as Rashi has shown us, what the Torah wants us to know is, the message here is give wholeheartedly, absolutely, without expectation. To the extent that there's no personal privilege, personal value that comes out of these actions. Now, now Rashi says, you can understand that when the Torah now tells us, Leave it for the poor. Well, the simple message of leaving it for the poor we already know because we saw that in Parashas Kedoshim. It must be coming to add something. What's it adding? It's coming to add a better understanding, a complete picture of what it means to give away in the most altruistic fashion. Without any sense of self. Achieved through the giver. Therefore, Rashi answers, Ta'azov means, Leave it for them. Let them help themselves. You're not allowed to assist them. Not only does the person not have the privilege of getting to choose which of the poor people he'll allocate the shikha and the leket and the payer to, he cannot even have the nachas of assisting them. Literally, it has to be done in such a way that the poor take it alone. He cannot even get the thank you. Thank you for handing me this thing. No, he's got to step back completely. It's an absolutely passive role. Now, the smart student will still have a question of Pirushoi, about Rabbi Avardimas, Okay, so Rabbi Avardimas, you're telling us whoever gives Lechat Shicho and Peah properly, it's like you built the base Amigdash and brought Korbanis. Now, soif, soif. 
שאדם לא יתו דבר משלוי ולא יסנו מבלי שתהיה לו טבע סנו. אוקיי, גרייט. We're talking about the fact that a person is going to give away without any expectation, without any privilege, nothing. Okay, fine. But what's so spectacular about that, that it equates to the base of Mikdash? Oh, but Frat, especially when you consider practically, you know, sometimes we talk about these ideas and concepts, and it sounds brilliant. And then you talk about it practically, you say, whoa, hang on a second. It's not such an earth-shattering achievement. Shaldech HaRogel Eimad Dubar Bekamos Gedoy Lokalal. Lekat Shechem Peh are not huge amounts. Leket is a couple of stalks that fell. Shikha can only apply to a few bundles that a person forgot. When you talk about the grain in the corner of your field that you leave for Peah, the third doesn't even say how much. As far as the third is concerned, there is no minimum amount of how much you leave for Peah. Just leave one little section and you're good. Even where we increase the requirement of how much payer you have to give, it's one-sixtieth of the field. It's a tiny amount. So what's the big mysterious nefesh? The smart students can ask, Rabbi Avardimas, you're getting so excited over here. It's like building a base amigdash and bringing korbanos. For doing what? For giving away little bits and pieces. Ah, you will say for the giver, it's a lot. You know, in theory, it's not. You know, if it's not yours, it doesn't feel like a lot. For the giver, it's a lot. Kem shabomi get a cup of it's something he worked hard for. But Rashi said that the most important thing is not what he is taking from his assets to give; it's the how he's giving it. To give to the poor appropriately. If that's the case, what's so spectacular? This person is considered to build the base and bring carbonus, but doing what? By giving away pittance. We're not talking about his psychological state. That was the Torah's Kohanim. We're talking about what he gives to the poor people. It's not, it's not giving them so much. So to answer that, Rashi told us who's talking over here. Rashi tells us, you know who said this? If you know a little bit about Rabbi Avardimas, you'll understand. The Talmud Yushalmi in Shavuos tells us that there was a fellow called Ali Yehuda Ish Hutzi Shenitman Bimaora Shloisha Yomin. He hid in a cave for three days. So to try and work out to try and work out how do we know as a principle that the needs of my city take precedence over the needs of the next city eventually he came also the Rabbi he said to Rabbi Yossi how do we know this principle so Rabbi Yossi didn't answer him he called his son his son was Rabbi Avardimus and he asked him, please do me a favor, explain to, to this Rabbi uh, Yehuda why it is that your own city's requirements overtake, uh, take precedence over the next city. as follows. There's a passage that says about how you construct cities about the cities for the Levium and about the Migrashim, the, the green belts around the cities, the Torah uses the word Tiyena. 
הארימו אלה תהיינו עיר ועיר ואחר כך הוא מגרשר סביבו יסרו. says look at what the Torah says. The Torah says first you look after the city and then you go to the Migrash that which is beyond the city. ולכאירה, simple question. מדוע הוא צריך רבי יוסי לקרוא לבנוי הוורדימס? או לבק שלנו איזה שי לזוי? Why did Rabbi Yosef Bar Chalafta have to call his son to give this Rabbi Yehuda an answer? Why didn't he just tell him straight? This is, I, I know the halacha. Especially when this is actually Rabbi Yosef's teaching. So why does he have to bring Rabbi Avadim as to tell this Yehuda something that he himself had taught? The Talmud Yosham is illustrating to us. Move on. This is to illustrate us that this was the area of focus, the special area of Torah law that Rabbi Avardimas focused on. Like, for example, the Gemara tells us Rabbi Yehuda's primary focus of learning was in the areas of Nezikin of damages. Well, Rabbi Akiva, where Rabbi Lozab and Azariah sister, Rabbi Akiva, don't get involved in Agada. Go to the areas where you are an expert. Very difficult areas of, of Tumantara. And various other examples of where certain rabbis, certain sages of the time, had expertise in certain areas. That obviously tells us that Rabbi Avardimas had a specific focus in his learning about the value and precedence and priority of one's own city over another city. That's what Rabbi Yossi, even though he was the one who taught this halacha, called Rabbi Avardimas and said, you're the expert in this field, you tell us. Claimer, in other words, where is the area of expertise of Rabbi Avardimas? That the way the Torah normally teaches us is those who are closest to us take priority. So those poor people who are in our circle of influence, they're the ones we should give tzedakah to first. Even if it's not a physical familial relationship, but just those who live in the same city as us should take precedence over the poor people from another city. Poor people who are close, whether through relationship, whether through proximity, take priority over others. That is Rabbi Avardimas' world. Knowing who this is, Rabbi Avardimas, knowing that he is the one who teaches us the axiom that you always prioritize those who are in your immediate sphere of care and responsibility, now you see the Chiddush of what he's telling us. The person who gives away to the poor Appropriately, you can understand why he considers this such a big deal like building a base amigdash and bringing carbonos. Yes, the amount might be small, but the principle is a chiddush. Because the conduct that the Torah expects of a person while giving not to prioritize those who are close to the person relatives, or those who live in that person's city, not to prioritize them over others. This is not just a matter of a person doing something that is personally difficult for them to do. It is something that goes against the value system of how they understand the Torah normally wants us to live. 
And al pianal yishleim b'zeinyonim mufloim aderch halacha shenit in elamdam epirish Rashi. That gives us a fascinating insight into an area of halacha which Rashi often often does. Our Rambam posak. If you look at the Rambam, he he paskins. The Rambam's opinion is that these three areas of contribution to the poor are not only an Avera if you don't do them, but they are linked to a positive commandment and a requirement to fulfill them. Which means, If a person transgressed and they cleared their whole field, harvested everything and did not leave the payer for the poor, then, then after having collected the harvest, the person would then be required to take a little bit of it and give it to the poor. Because the Rambam holds that there's still a positive mitzvah. So you've, the person will have messed up the negative mitzvah and transgressed, but they'd still have the positive mitzvah and they still got to go ahead and they got to do it and they give, got to give it to the poor. Rashi's explanation looks at it from a different halachic perspective. What have we seen from Rashi? Rashi doesn't see it as a negative commandment linked to a positive commandment according to the Pshat. Because Rashi explained was to teach us that you don't get involved in the giving. Not to teach us that in addition to the fact that there's a prohibition against using up everything in your field, there's also a mitzvah to give to the poor. No, Rashi is saying it's just there to define how you leave them. When in Pashas Kedoshim we were told that we have to leave these parts of the field for the poor, that's where the Torah was describing to us how a person might transgress if they don't do these things. Don't harvest the whole field for yourself. Because practically what you've got to do is you've got to leave it for the poor. The second time the same information is shared with us in our parasha, leave it for the poor. That we described is there to tell us how much a person has to distance themselves from gaining any benefit out of doing this mitzvah. Not even the benefit of being the one to give it. It's a double transgression, not an assay plus a Sign an acher, or to put it differently, the way that one gives to the poor by leaving it for them. Leaving it for them to do the work of collection. To the extent that the giver cannot even have the nachas of having been the one who gave to the poor and helped the poor. Rashi is telling us that's not a sidebar of the mitzvah. Rashi says that is how the mitzvah is fulfilled. The, the definition of the mitzvah is not just that you take those things from your field and share them. Part of the mitzvah is to do it in a way with hands off completely. You don't get involved at all. You leave it at it. It's a completely passive mitzvah. And that will lead us to a deep spiritual perspective that Rashi gives us. 
What's Rashi teaching us? How important it is that when it comes to doing a mitzvah, even if it is a lesser mitzvah, whatever that means, a mitzvah that can be done with minor effort, one shibolas, one stalk, and you're good. In order to do a mitzvah, every mitzvah has to be yeba mitios. It should be genuine and authentic. We should never do a mitzvah for ulterior motives or personal gain. And it works the other way too. How important it is for a person to subdue their instincts. To overcome the Yetzirah. It's quite similar to another area of halacha that illustrates the same point. The same point where it says, If you see your enemy's donkey struggling under the load, that's when you should help. Where it's a greater mitzvah to help your enemy in distress than your friend because it helps you overcome natural impulses. To the point, to the extent that look what happens when a person overcomes their natural instincts and does this mitzvah without any sense of personal interest and without even considering, I but the Torah surely wants me to prioritize other people who are close to me. Keep it stocker stam different to regular stocker. Where you dafka prioritize those who are closest. Look what happens to the person who has the capacity for that degree of self control. Such a person is equated with the person who built the base and brought carbonos. When a person works not just to do mitzvahs, but to change their natural impulses. And not only to change the nature that a person has, in other words, by prioritizing other areas of character that I'm not necessarily good at, but to change the nature of my character. The neighbor considers it like we've built the base Amigdosh, which brings to the point of actually building the base Amigdosh. Where we could take a bring Korbanus for real as they intended. And that should take place in the third base Amigdosh, which should be built in Mitzvah Hashem very speedily.